The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I dreaded this one, but I did. I'll admit that to you guys right up front. Luckily, I'm hoping your attention span is about as long as mine is these days, and you'll forget that I even said that once we get rolling on today's show. This is Fantasy NBA Today. It's a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Baspris, and today we are exploring the final of our three Texas tour teams. Alliterative joy here on this Thursday edition. The Texas tour continues. We knocked out the Houston Rockets on Tuesday. We touched on the San Antonio Spurs on yesterday's podcast, and today we'll finish up Texas with a trip through the Dallas Mavericks, one of my least favorite teams to handicap throughout this season. But I think we can pull some pretty good stuff away from it, and we will certainly get to that here in just a moment. Once again, I want to remind everybody that if you are looking for something to do right now, join us at HoopBall. Not only are we still putting out content on the article side, on the fantasy side, but we're also taking folks on the sales side. It's a commission-based gig. Get your feet wet. And it's actually a wonderful way to build a career in sports. This is such a... Try to use this god-awful COVID situation as a weird opportunity. And I know that this isn't going to be... You know, this isn't going to fit everybody's timelines or financial situations because I know we all have it a little bit different you know we are a fortunate family here to be able to you know I have two paying gigs that have not been hugely disrupted by what's going on I know that's not the case for a lot of people as evidenced by the unemployment claims happening right now but you know while we're on that topic folks that are able to get unemployment that were you know either furloughed laid off things like that if getting into sports has always been something you've wanted to do, one of the ways to do it is to build up a backbone of sales. That allows you to do the sports side, which is extraordinarily low-paying. Ask anybody who's not an actual professional athlete how much they're making, and most folks that are not general managers are not racking in the big bucks, said the guy who worked in minor league baseball for a decade. The way to do it, same deal in minor league baseball as it is here in, in most other avenues, is to go sell some stuff. You sell enough stuff, you've got a backbone going, that then you can do the silly sports things, the fun stuff, the pods, the articles, whatever, and it uh, suddenly you've got yourself a career. So if you're in that bucket and you've got, oh, I don't know, another month or two of uh, unemployment or severance or vacation or whatever it is you're using right now to kind of scrape by, this is the perfect time to lay the groundwork with a sales gig here with us at HoopBall. Generally, it's going to take you some one to two months to kind of get things going since you're generating leads and, well, not generating them. We have, the, you know, those are provided, but, you know, you're, you're, you're building rapport and you're selling things and it's going to take some time. It's not going to be like trinkets that you sell first time over the phone. But boy, I'll tell you, uh, if you've got the time to invest some hours in it, and I'm getting some people do. This would be a wonderful time to to embark upon that new life. Build the sports career while there's no sports. Still forgot to put the tweet out about it yesterday. I promise 
he said confidently, that he's going to do it today. We'll see. Maybe I should just pause the podcast and do it right now. Nope, I have limited time. We're going to dive right into it. Again, I'm Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hit me up if you want to talk about anything at all. Try to check Twitter somewhat consistently here during this shutdown, uh, but obviously things are complicated with now two kids in the house quarantined. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. At least we're getting podcasts out every day, right? That's something. So the Dallas Mavericks, there's nothing on the COVID front, by the way, that we need to talk about. More uh, over at HoopBall, the Sacramento Kings are the latest team to get profiled. Hoop-Ball.com, check that out as well. We're not doing that today. We actually already did the Sacramento Kings. That was uh, about two weeks ago. Okay, the Mavericks. This has been a very odd fantasy team for so many reasons. And the way we've been breaking things down is to start at the top with the most valuable player on a team and work our way down the list. But I don't know that that's actually going to make sense with the Mavs because the season has been this weird amalgam of pieces for them. Pieces and injuries and a trade where the guy they picked up ended up doing next to nothing once he got to Dallas. So what I think we will do is knock out the two stalwarts. That's the easy part, Porzingis and Doncic. And then we've got to touch on, well, pretty much all of the peripheral guys. Willie Cauley-Stein, that'll be a quick one. Maxi Kleba, Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, DeLon Wright, Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson. All of these guys deserve at least 30 to 45 seconds and probably more of our time today. So let's start with the number one ranked player on the Mavericks in nine category leagues, and this is going to blow everyone away. But by the end of the year, yes, it's true, Kristaps Porzingis had passed Luka Doncic on a per-game basis. Porzingis was number 22, and Luka, who had been crushing for two months, rolling along at basically, was, I think he was number six for a while, almost, a, almost two months I think he was number six, completely fell apart after that. And... To say that he fell apart probably doesn't quite do the effort justice because if you look at his game-by-game numbers, it won't really stand out. There isn't like this precipitous drop-off where you're looking at the numbers and they look all that different on a game-to-game basis. I mean, look early in the year, lots of 20-something points and 10-something rebounds and 10-ish assists. The assists did come down later in the year. There are fewer double-digit assist games. There are fewer double-digit rebound games, but it's not so obvious just at a quick glance that you could pick it up and say, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's coming down pretty hard. Uh, the steals actually were, one would argue, maybe even better lately than they were early in the year, but it's, you know, that's sort of a wash both ways. He's just, he's not a massive steals guy regardless. But the thing that really happened and was remarkably consistent for Luka is that As the season wore on, his percentages suffered immensely. For the entire season, Luka Doncic was at 46% from the field, 75% at the free throw line. Over basically the second half of this season, he was 45% from the field and a very high volume, 67% at the free throw line. He was still scoring 29-ish points per game for this most recent part of the season. And right around 29 for the whole season. Rebounds were down from 9.5 to like 8.5. Assists were down from close to 9 to closer to 8. But again, that stuff was 
smaller. That stuff was smaller than the percentage things. Because early in the year, he was shooting more like 48%. Later in the year, is more like 44 Early in the year, he was shooting robust. I mean, he was, he was 80% at the free throw line early in the season. He had completely wiped out a giant gaping hole in his fantasy game. And then that came down into the mid-60s as the season wore on. And high volume, too. Which begs the question, well, many, many questions, actually. It begs a few questions. Number one, who is he really? What's the, what's the real Luka Doncic in terms of those numbers? Is he, this, is he the 80% guy from early in the year, or is he the 68% guy from later in the season? Is he the 48% field goal percent guy from earlier in the year, or is he the 44% from later in the season? Last year, he shot 43% from the field and 71% at the free throw line, which kind of falls on the field goal percent side underneath pretty much everything he was doing this year. So I think it's safe to say he did make a move forward in that department. Free throw percent side, he is ahead this season of where he was last year, but he was falling. And as we saw over the last two and a half months this year, his free throw percent this season was actually lower than the 71% he shot last year. So we don't know. We don't know. The other thing is there was... And, I, you know, I had to admit, I, th- I figured it was going to stick to some degree. There was a lot of crowing about how this is a first-round guy in all formats. And then the percentages fell off a cliff, and suddenly that, that went out the window. He ended up outside the second round. He ended up as a, basically the first pick of the third round, the edge of the top 25. He was a first-round guy for two months, and he was a seventh-round guy for three months. That's pretty weird. That's pretty weird. Now, some of it is injury-related. I think you could put some of the, maybe the field goal percent in particular, perhaps the slight downtick in rebounding. Um, I don't know if you can put the downtick in assists on that as well, but you can definitely put the field goal percent on it, just not being 100% healthy. But that's going to be the case with everybody in the NBA forever. No one's 100% healthy all season long. The other question I have on Luka Doncic is, in a nine-category league in particular. Now, eight-category leagues is 4.2 turnovers. You wipe those off the math. He, he becomes a much more valuable player. Duh. Nine-category leagues. I wonder, is this someone... Is he going to get drafted in the first round next year because of how quickly he started this season? I get the feeling, and we've talked about this with guys before, where if you just closed your eyes, I think the... I'm trying to remember the player. I think it was DeJounte Murray on yesterday's show where I said, if you just closed your eyes... And imagine I hadn't already told you the ranking of a guy. What would you have thought the ranking was on DeJounte Murray yesterday? You would have said top 100, right? I don't think anybody knew that he was, in, he was right around number 70. And the same deal, opposite flip with Luka Doncic. I think if you just pause your brain and say, how did Luka do this year? You'd almost definitely say top 20. And I'm guessing a lot of people would say top 15, because of how well he started the year. I think most people noticed that there was a drop-off, but I don't think most people realized quite how steep it was. Unless you were someone like me, who was constantly watching him and thinking, man, I faded this guy this year. Am I a giant idiot? And the answer is, yeah, sort of. I am a giant idiot because he was far better than I expected, but I'm not a giant idiot because he still didn't beat his ADP. He was generally drafted inside the top 20, And he finished outside the top 20. 
It's as straightforward as that. Plus, he missed about 10 of their games. Lest we forget, he missed about 10 of the Mavericks games. They had actually played, I think, a league-high 67 games to this point. So the Mavs had really racked them up. And Doncic missed 13 of those, which is, as we've talked about, I mean, that's that, that's about 20% of his team's games. So by totals, it actually doesn't get all that much better for him. In fact, it gets just a hair worse. He was number 29 by totals. But we can only beat this dead horse for so long, and the point of the matter is percentages do matter still. So I got part of it right and part of it wrong, and at the end of the day, he didn't quite hit his ADP, and so that counts as a very tiny win, even if... He was far better than I had originally predicted. But this is why I like to group guys into buckets. On draft day, are you a value or aren't you a value? He was pretty much never going to be a value unless he was inside the first round. And it looked for a while like that was going to be the case. Now, the question is, another question, big one with him, is does he take another step forward next year? Does the free throw percent continue to increase? Does the field goal percent continue to increase? Because I, I simply don't know how you expect the other stuff to go much higher. There's a ceiling for guys, and when they have the basketball on basically every single possession, that's kind of the ceiling. So I don't know with him. I mean, this really does come down to whether or not he can hit a free throw. His free throw percent held him back in a giant way. It's why he was number 75 late in the year, and it's why he was a first-rounder early in the year. Percentages were good early, and they were bad late. I'm probably not going to end up with almost any Luka Doncic shares next year, however you want to phrase it, roster positions for him, because he's probably going to be drafted in the first or second round, and I'm not willing to take him as a value play until the third. It ain't happening. I don't think his free throw percent stays above 80. Now, if he felt, I mean, if he felt the 20s, I would take him. I would venture to, you know, if you had like at first three or four pick in your draft and it got back to you, at 21 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you obviously take him at that point because, you know, he he was 25 this year. That's basically hitting your ADP. It's a miss by a little, but basically there. And then there's room for some kind of growth if the free throw percent gets figured out. So I know we talked about this backwards because I mentioned Kristaps Porzingis was actually the guy who led the team in their numbers, but this is what I'm talking about. We can't really cover the Mavericks in true chronological order. Porzingis was a tale of two halves. Porzingis finished the year at number 22 overall, 19 points, 9.5 rebounds, 2.5 three-pointers, 0.7 steals, 2 blocks a game, 42% from the field on high volume, 78% at the free throw line. But, and this is a very important but, it's a big but, as we like to say, and then chuckle like a, like a 15-year-old. Over the last three weeks, Kristaps Porzingis was number two prior to the NBA getting shut down. And it wasn't just those last couple of weeks. He was a first-round pick for the second half of his season. First 25 games, he was right around the edge of the top 100. Next 25 games, he was right around number 10 on 21 points, 10 rebounds, two blocks, a steal, a couple of assists, three three-pointers, 44% from the field, and 83% at the free-throw line. This is, I mean, he's reminding people of why he was called the unicorn, or is called the unicorn, is because he can do this weird cross-section of things. Three-pointers, scoring, rebounding, some steals, a ton of blocks, 
Hurts your free goal, field goal percent, but actually helps you at the free throw line and low turnovers. He is a nine-category monster, and the fact that he can be a big-time difference maker on your team because of blocks is a reason why. Questions that circle around Kristaps Porzingis. Where the hell is he going to get drafted next year? He turned out to be a, a, a pretty interesting draft day. We call him a value? I guess we could call him a value. He ended up at number 35 by totals. Really didn't miss many games outside of the prescribed rest games this season. And when you consider the fact that he was generally drafted a little bit beyond that part, although it was you know, depended on your league, he went at number 28 in one of my fairly competitive leagues. So to that, to that end, he was actually not a value because he missed some games, and by totals he was outside of that mark. But overall, uh, I think he was going in the 30s. So he finished pretty damn close to his ADP. I have to assume he's going to be a second-round pick next year, because that's where he was before the the injury that sidelined him for a season plus. He, we've seen here he has first-round upside that maybe we weren't completely sure was in the tank for him. So yeah, I think you could take a flyer on him as an interesting second-round pick, particularly if you have someone in the first round that's not killing your field goal percent. Like, would I take him with James Harden? Eh, probably not. You're in a real tight spot with field goal percent at that point, even though you're going to be killing it in free throws, threes, defensive stats, rebounds are in pretty good shape, scoring's in pretty damn good shape. But he definitely pairs better. With someone like a, oh, I don't know, Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, everybody pairs well with Anthony Davis, but Nikola Jokic is an interesting pair. LeBron James is an interesting pair from early on. Actually, Chris Paul is an interesting pair. If you were going to go one round further, someone that was drafted in the third round this year. Such is the magic of early round picks is that these guys are not supremely high field goal percent dudes. Carl Anthony Towns, if you wanted to take a big man to pair with him, or if you're looking at guards who have good field goal percents, Bradley Beal probably falls into that mix, although he's going to take a hit next year. I don't think he should be a first-round pick again. Kawhi Leonard is a wing who has a pretty good field goal percent. You just sort of can't take two big field goal percent hits right out of the gate like that, or you're just not coming back in that category. You sort of can't do it without taking a punt guy later in your draft. All right, so for Porzingis, really it's going to come down to where he's getting drafted. I bet he's going to go around 15, the 15 range, 15 to 18, 15 to 20, and I'm totally fine with that. That's probably roughly where he's going to end up. Even if he takes games off, because he may, they may rest him on back-to-backs next year too, just, just because. He might just get the Kawhi treatment full-time. All right, now what about the rest of these guys? Because this is where things get murky with Dallas, and it's why they were such a pain in the butt all season long. Mentioned we were going to talk about Willie Cauley-Stein. He put up all of his numbers in Golden State this year, so just discard him from the Mavericks bucket. The rest of the guys that are inside the bucket, Maxi Kleba, Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, DeLon Wright, Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Jalen Brunson. We can wipe out Jalen Brunson because his only value occurred when Luka Doncic was out, and even then it wasn't super consistent because he gets no defensive stats and his field goal percent generally pretty low. He doesn't actually shoot nearly as many three-pointers as I think we'd like to give him credit for. He's merely points and assists and nothing else. So throw him away. He's a streamer. You can throw Dorian Finney-Smith away as well. He's sort of the do-a-bunch-of-things kind, but neither percentage is a positive. 
One of his greatest attributes is his low turnovers. His steals and blocks aren't as high as one might think, given the fact that he did play about 30 minutes a game, but only averaged 1.3 combined steals and blocks from a guy that gets basically a reputation for doing a little bit of everything, when in fact, he really just does almost nothing of everything. Discard him as well. Dwight Powell you can discard because... Uh, He blew out his Achilles, so I don't even know if he's going to play next year. And if he does, it won't be much, and he won't be at full strength. Now, that's a shame because he was kind of rounding into shape before he blew his Achilles out. But we don't have to worry about it, so out of sight, out of mind. We won't spend any time on him either. I mean, we have to pare things down here. If we were going through every one of these guys in excruciating detail, we'd be here all day. I think we can mention one more thing on the Dwight Powell front. It looked like he was going to be your sort of plodding top 100 center on a good field goal percent will get you some steals eh, block every once in a while not many from the center spot a uh, little bit of scoring not much a little bit of rebounding and then you know just kind of quietly your top 100 center that was for a while playing in every game and then the whole thing came apart so that one was probably going to be pretty close to his ADP at least by totals before this thing came to pieces but I'll tell you as fantasy folks and, you know, I don't, I don't mean this to disparage any player, and we're certainly not rooting for, for bad injuries. That's the farthest thing from the truth. It is easier to handle it psychologically when you know your player is just done. So, yeah, he's obviously not going to hit his mark this year because he can't play in any more games, meaning he's stuck at 40. But he was ramping up at his current clip. He was probably going to end up right around the edge of the top 100 on a per-game basis and probably a little bit higher than that by totals if you extrapolated this thing to the full year. But we can't, so we won't, and we'll just leave it alone. The guys that did play, all of, or most of, at least, of the season, were DeLon Wright, Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Maxi Kleba. Those are the four peripheral guys on the Mavs that I do want to spend just a minute here breaking down before we wrap up today's slightly shorter edition of Fantasy NBA Today. We'll start with Maxi Kleba because he was the highest ranked of the four, and because he was one of the few of them that was actually trending up at this point in the year, Seth Curry was likely the other one. For Kleba, a lot of his upward trend late in the season towards around top 100 was because Dwight Powell went down. His minutes were all over the map prior to Powell's injury, And so he was never really able to settle into a consistent and useful role. As Powell went down, Dwight Powell stopped playing. Maxi Kleba was able to settle into more of a 27 to 30 minute role and averaged almost two blocks a game over that stretch, basically zero turnovers. Shoots a good free throw percent, takes a lot of three pointers. So the field goal percent generally not that high, but also neither are the attempts. So not super worried about it. About one and a half three-pointers, nine points, five boards. I mean, you're looking for more, but the emergence late in the season of Kristaps Porzingis and the fact that Luka Doncic is a big-time rebounding guard, that takes a lot of those boards out of play. What about next year? What do we? What's Maxi Kleba going to do? Well, you know, with Dwight Powell out for potentially the entire season, If the Mavs don't make many moves, you're looking at a fairly similar front court now to what they were playing at the end of this most recent stretch, meaning Porzingis, 
low 30s in minutes. Kleba, high 20s. Is he draftable? Yes. Is there upside there? Eh, not really. Do you need blocks? In Roto, hell yeah. There's a certain magic to a guy that blocks shots without impacting severely impacting your free throw percent. Even if he's not a big rebounder, he's, he's sort of treading water in that category. But where would you take a guy like Kleba? Because he probably isn't getting inside the top 95. Almost no matter how, th- how good things go for the Mavericks, he's not taking any shots. He's not. Porzingis, Doncic, Hardaway are likely going to be the three guys taking the volume looks in that first unit. And for Kleba, he's going to get the uh, putback here and there, a three ball created by these other guys. But he's largely getting out of the way on the offensive side. So there's minimal upside in terms of usage. And as we've said before, one of the big lessons to remember this year is usage does generally equate to value. Now, Kleba has the fantasy game to to creep into value territory without big usage because of the blocks, because of the three-pointers, because he's not killing you in the percentages generally. But there's just nowhere to nowhere to climb for him. I would draft him outside the top 135. Because it's hard to find blocks. It's hard to find someone who can block a shot and a half a game at that juncture without taking a big hit in free throw percent. But don't expect much more than that. Tim Hardaway Jr. was the next highest-ranked player on the Mavericks, and his season was all over the place. He had a crap ton of three-pointers, averaged 16 points and three threes a game, but almost nothing else. He did remarkably little else besides scoring and hitting threes. Three rebounds, two assists, .8 combined defensive stats, medium volume bad field goal percent, low volume okay free throw percent, and low turnovers. That was another claim to fame for Hardaway. And he finished at number 129 by averages on the year. I have no interest in what he's expected to do going forward. He's going to have those games where he pops off for, you know, six or seven three-pointers. He has a player option for $19 million next year, so I'm guessing he's going to take it. But truth be told, if I'm taking any sharpshooter on this team, it's probably Seth Curry, and likely I'm not taking either of them. He signed a four-year deal with the Mavericks, so Seth Curry's in town for a while. He's not going anyplace until probably 2023. So he's there as well, meaning that all of these shooting guard floor spacing gigs for Dallas are pretty much spoken for. And there's going to be a bit of a hot hand thing. We know Rick Carlisle likes to mix and match whatever guys are the right matchup for the opponent and whatever guys are getting hot on a given night. The reason I like Seth Curry is at least when he's out there, he shoots the ball at a high clip. He shot 50% this year with 2.3 three-pointers a game. He's a Curry, damn it. He can shoot. If he had significant playing time, which there were stretches where he did. Remember, Hardaway missed a couple of games, not many, a handful. Well, Luka missed time, and that actually helped Seth Curry. He slid in and played a little bit more. He had stretches this year where Seth Curry was posting value inside the top 100. In fact, over the last three weeks prior to the suspension of play, Seth Curry was number 61. That's higher than Luka Doncic, by the way, over that same stretch. 
He was playing 31 minutes a game and averaging almost 20 points a night. Do we think that can continue? I doubt it. I doubt it. You know, over those last 10 games prior to the season getting suspended, the Mavs had six players inside the top 100. Porzingis was number three. Seth Curry, 61. Luka, 75. Hardaway, 77. Because he was hitting four three-pointers a game during that stretch. Kleba, 89 on almost two blocks a game. And even DeLon Wright barely squeezed inside the top 100. And he's the last guy I wanted to talk about on the Mavericks. DeLon Wright had a hugely annoying season. Everything about this season for DeLon Wright was a massive pain in the neck. He played 22 minutes a game, averaged 7 points, 4 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.2 steals on good field goal percent, meh, decent free throw percent, but didn't really help you there. It was a neutral. Played in 65 games, though, which was something. You only missed two games all season long, so his totals value was far higher than his per game. But here's the thing. This is where you get into one of those splits again of what a different format means, what guys mean in different fantasy formats, and I'll explain myself. A couple of Mavericks actually fall into this department. Kleba, who played in 66 games, DeLon Wright, the aforementioned DeLon Wright, who played in 65, and Tim Hardaway Jr., who played in 63. Those guys who were all well outside the top 100 on a per-game value, Kleba being the highest among them at number 120, all three of them finished inside the top 90 by totals. And this is why you really can't take one without the other. If I simply told you the totals rank of those three guys, Kleba, 74. Yeah, he was inside the top 75 by totals. DeLon Wright, 88. Tim Hardaway Jr., 89. They were next-door neighbors in the rankings. If I had just told you those three numbers, number one, I'd be deliberately deceiving you because in a, in a situation with a game's cap, those guys are not helpful. Outside of Kleba, maybe Hardaway. Eh, I mean, you're looking at specialist-level value for those dudes. First of all, if you're punting turnovers, they're all completely useless regardless. So in a head-to-head format, those guys were a colossal pain in the neck. You should only be using them to stream, and even that should be a short-term thing. In Roto, with a game's cap, you're utilizing a guy posting a top 125 value or worse, meaning in, in this one... DeLon Wright was the lowest of that bunch at 141 on a per-game basis. Seth Curry was the one of those dudes that was trending up pretty hard late in the season as a fantastic streaming option. If you're using these guys against your roto cap, you better be catching them on a hot week. Because in a 12-team in a roto situation with an 82-game cap, somebody posting top 125 value is not useful. I don't care how many games they're playing. On the other hand, if you're in a weekly Roto format where you're trying to maximize games played, so there's no cap, you're trying to chew up as many games as you can every week. And I suppose you could even make the argument for weekly head-to-head as well. Guys that play in all four, say, of their games on a given week, that's an advantage. That's a positive. That's a feather in the cap of Kleba and Wright 
and Hardaway Jr. And to a much lesser extent, Seth Curry and Dorian Finney-Smith for two different reasons. Because Seth missed a few games and because Finney-Smith was ranked even farther outside. And he didn't even crack the top 100 despite playing in 64 games on the year. If you're in a weekly format where you can't just rotate someone in who's hotter or healthier, if you plug in DeLon Wright, who, again, I'll, I'll repeat myself, was outside the top 140 on a per-game ranking. I mean, this is a dude that basically just wasn't on rosters by the end of the year. But the thing is, he played in basically all of his games. If you ran him out there for four games on a given week and you run him up against a guy that's ranked number 100 in only three games, DeLon Wright is probably going to win that battle because of the extra game played. Because of the extra 33% on minutes played in a given week. It's why when we do our weekly lineup shows on Mondays, you know, when the season's real as actually in existence, it's why we talk about adding up minutes over the course of the week. You're making a weekly lineup decision. You want to play the guy that's going to be logging more minutes, usually. You know, barring situations where you're comparing an extraordinarily high usage guy against someone who is extraordinarily low usage. This is basically comparing lower-ish usage guys. And if DeLon Wright, it's like, oh, he's got a four-game week. He plays 22 minutes a night. Pretty much no, he's going to play 88 minutes that week. He's not going to miss a game. His stuff isn't going to fluctuate all that much. You're going to get four times whatever his averages are. Whereas you look at someone else that, oh, I don't know. Let's find someone who on a per-game basis was ranked near the top 100. Like, oh, who's an interesting example of this? Um, how about Derrick Rose? It's actually a perfect example of this. Derrick Rose averaged 18 points and 5.5 and assists a game. But he missed 15 games. He effectively missed 25% of his team's games. So if he had a four-game week, and DeLon Wright had a four-game week, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, DeLon Wright won that battle because he played all four games, and Derrick Rose might have only played three. You know, they're each going to win particular categories, but we're just talking about overall ranking here. It's where totals matter. Versus where per game matters. Per game matters when you got a games cap. Per game matters when you're in daily leagues where you can rotate guys in that are performing better on a day-to-day basis than DeLon Wright at number 140. Screw it. I'm going to drop him for who the hell cares? Someone else ranked near 140 who's just hotter that week. Danny Green was hotter. that. Jordan Clarkson was hotter for two weeks. Troy Brown Jr. was hotter for two weeks. In a weekly league, doesn't make as much sense. You got your guy that's playing every game. By totals at the end of the year, he's actually going to be worthwhile because he played all the time. But by averages, when you're using up those games caps in particular, when you're hitting those marks, you want guys that are actually performing. You want guys that are inside the top 100 whenever you play them. And as far as the Mavericks go, I don't know why things would change a whole lot next year. I think your flyer pick at towards the end of drafts is probably Seth Curry on the chance he makes a bunch of three-pointers at a good percentage again, and they actually let him play 26, 27, 28 minutes. Whereas someone like a Tim Hardaway Jr., even though he was actually ranked higher for the entire season, 
we know where he can do, and what he can do is hit threes and score on really bad field goal percent with nothing else. All right, we'll get out of Texas for the next one. That was the end of our Texas trio. Uh, tomorrow, Friday's show, we'll wrap up the week with the... Mm, should we do the Pelicans? Yeah, maybe we'll do the Pelicans. They're a fun one. Carry us through the weekend. Uh, Monday, we'll have a breakdown of the two episodes of The Last Dance set to air on Sunday. We'll also have another big lesson learned from the fantasy campaign. That's what's coming up here on Fantasy NBA Today. As far as today's show is concerned, that pretty much puts a lid on it. But the lesson to learn... And it's hard because Dallas, we really just didn't know the roles of some of these guys coming into the season, and they never crystallized. The lesson to be learned, and I think there's a couple of them. Number one, blocks are valuable. Wherever you can find them, blocks are valuable. Kristaps Porzingis ended up with a really high ranking, largely because he blocked a crap ton of shots. Maxi Kleba ended up with a serviceable ranking, largely because he was able to block a bunch of shots, particularly when he got a bigger role after Dwight Powell's injury. But you can't plan for Dwight Powell's injury. And so I think perhaps the more important lesson to be learned is it's a long year. It's a long year. Kristaps Porzingis was a top 100 player, top 80 player for about a month and a half, two months. And then he was a top 10 player for two and a half months. Luka Doncic was a top 10 player for two months and a top 75 player for two and a half months after that. The tale of two seasons. The magic of percentages... And what they actually mean to a player's value cannot ignore them. And perception. I think the Mavericks are an interesting case study in perception. I doubt people realize that Porzingis finished the season ahead of Luka Doncic. And I bet you Luka goes ahead of Porzingis next year. I bet you. Maybe not on my rosters. But I bet you he will on most. ADP watch. It'll begin in... Whatever month this crap actually comes back up around again, we have no idea. Again, this is your Thursday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hit me up if you want to sell some stuff. Make some money here. It's weird. It's a weird time we're living in. Great opportunity to start a sports career at Dan Vespers on Twitter or Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, back tomorrow to wrap up the week here on Fantasy NBA Today, and that'll carry you through into another week of sitting at home and uh, trying to take care of children while also getting things done. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.